Raise your hand if your job is 100% perfect all the time. Be honest. (laughs) All right, you got me. That was a trick question. The point I'm trying to make is that, well, sometimes work sucks. But what if it sucks to the point where it'll cost you hundreds of thousands of dollars throughout your working life and where you have to choose between your family and career? What happens is very often there's one spot at the leadership table. And if there's two of us seeking that spot, for women, it becomes a zero-sum game. There's only a spot for one of us. That's Andy. Her and her husband, Al, have been studying these sorts of things for over 30 years. In that clip you just heard, she's talking about how the work sphere is typically seen as male-oriented. You know the drill. Women end up getting paid less. There seems to be less opportunities at the top. It can even be to the point where you hate working with women or you just see them as your enemies. But it's not always a system, right? In other words, are you causing your own grief in the workplace? Welcome to Beyond the Dollar with me, Sarah Lee Kane, a podcast where we have deep and honest conversations about how money affects our well-being. Andy Kramer and Al Harris, dynamic duo practicing attorneys who have been mentoring women and speaking and writing about gender communication, including the book, It's Not You, It's the Workplace, join me on this episode. We chat about why traditional corporate workplaces don't normally offer a work-home integration, why women feel like it's a zero-sum game when it comes to climbing the ranks, why it might be your fault when it comes to working alongside colleagues, and how we can be a better advocate for all in the working world. Stick around to the end where I'm going to distill some takeaways from our conversation, including statistics about why the gender gap exists, and some practical questions we can all have to have a better time at work. And spoiler alert, part of that is getting clear on your values, you know, what's really important to you. I've helped thousands of folks through this process by honing in on what matters and how we can guide you in your financial life and beyond. To grab the free guide, head to beyondthedollar.co slash values. And to find resources we shared in this episode, head over to beyondthedollar.co. All right, get ready, grab a seat, and let's go beyond the dollar. Andy, now welcome to Beyond the Dollar. Really excited to have you on today. We're very pleased to be with you. And thank you for having us. Before we start diving into more of the stories in your book and some of the advice that you have, can you just quickly define what you mean by a highly gendered workplace? Well, what we found is that most workplaces are run by men who have masculine values and culture and norms that they view as the way that organizations should operate. And so that puts women at a disadvantage because we're the outsiders as opposed to the people who look like the people who are in charge. The gendered workplace is essentially run, controlled, and dominated in accordance with masculine norms. And by masculine norms, we mean norms as to the separation of work and home the lineality of of work, the lack of interruption, the lack of ways of integrating domestic and vocational activities, so that it is as though men and women operate in different spheres, and the work sphere is the male sphere. Mm, that's really interesting, The the lack of interruption. Can you Tell me a little bit more about what you mean by that. 
Well, we know based on statistics that women's careers are interrupted far more often than men's. They're interrupted when they have children. They're interrupted when they have to take care of children or elderly relatives. Men are far more likely to push off those outside of work interruptions onto someone else, whereas Mm -hmm. women find it much more conducive, far more in keeping with who they want to be to take those interruptions themselves, to take care of those problems themselves. And much of it is that there's expectations that they're going to do it, whether they feel that it's something that they want to do or not. Society kind of makes it clear that the expectation is that it's for them to do. So in a very interesting study of business school MBA graduates, men and women start out at virtually the same salary level. But after about 10 years, men's salaries outpace women's by a good deal. And the researchers concluded that virtually all of that difference was attributed to the fact that women had less experience, less continuity, and less consistent advancement than men. And that was due entirely to the fact that women had had more interruptions in their careers than men had. How does this lack of interruption or, you know, the whole work versus home dynamic, how does that really play into the workplace? And like, how does that turn into a place or a corporate work setting anyways, where women are kind of almost pitted against women? Well, that is a, what you're pointing to is one of the consequences of gendered workplaces, which is that if women are considered to be the outgroup, what happens is very often there's one spot at the leadership table. And if there's two of us seeking that spot, for women, it becomes a zero-sum game. There's only a spot for one of us. But for men, they don't even have that concept. It doesn't apply to them. So that for men, there's always room for one more guy at the table. But once a woman is at the table, then it's the box has been checked. And so there's less room at the leadership table. Another issue that comes up is that once women make it into leadership positions, very often they either have to have been one of the guys or something that makes them part of the in-group as opposed to the out-group. And that puts tension and pressure on women working with other women. And the other part of it is that because of the stereotypes that women are supposed to be nice and kind and sweet, then if I'm your boss and I'm telling you, I need this at five o'clock, well, your hair catches fire. Who does she think she is that she can tell me that I have to give it to her by five? And so What that does is that puts women in conflict situations that are not there for men and that these are things that in our book, It's Not You, It's the Workplace, we talk about techniques that women can use to overcome the difficulties that they may have in interacting with each other, as well as understanding and how to work around the implications of a gendered workplace. Can you share a story of maybe someone you've helped or someone that has been featured in the book and how they navigated something like this? Well, one of the issues that comes up is that the studies show that women who can balance and can use both their communal I'm nice and kind and sweet 
behavioral characteristics and the more the social scientists use the word agentic, which comes from agency, meaning going to get the job done. And so if we can balance the communal and the agentic, if we can dip into our agentic as needed or our communal characteristics as needed, if we can demonstrate both of those, what happens is we're able to overcome the negative stereotypes because we can be considered a leader while at the same time we're still welcoming and viewed as nice and kind. Let me give you one story. In a conversation that we had with a woman who had come up to us after one of our workshops and said, I hate working with the women, but I love working with the men. The women are mean and nasty, backbiters, and only concerned about themselves. And we turned to her and said, that's very interesting. Could you tell us how the women treat you differently than the way that the men you work for treat you? And she thought for quite a while, and then she said, you know, those women don't treat me any differently than the men. It is that I expect them to be different, and they aren't. I've got to rethink this whole problem. It was that the women have an expectation that other women are going to be kind and helpful and concerned about their personal feelings, but they don't have those feelings about men. And so that when the women behave just like the men do, it is as though they're nasty, but the men behaving exactly the same way are simply being bosses. They're simply doing their job. And so part of the issue is getting women to understand the nature of stereotypical expectations so that they don't have unrealistic notions of how they ought to be treated in the workplace by other women. If I were in a toxic, what I would consider toxic work environment, and I'm trying to think about how I expect somebody to treat me versus how somebody to treat me and like, what can I do? What are some sort of exercises or questions I can ask myself when I'm trying to figure out like, is this a good workplace? Is it a bad workplace? Is it something I just, I need to sort of shift my mindset around? Well, you've raised a couple of important points because in reality, it's easy to default to it's a toxic workplace. Sometimes workplaces are toxic and the very best way to deal with it is to go find another place to work. But many workplaces have their strengths and their weaknesses. And if we can figure out how we can accomplish our objective then we're in a position where we can do better in an existing workplace. So for example, I don't know about you, but lots of people, myself included, do a mental checklist in the morning. Some people write it out, you know, here's 35 things I want to accomplish today. And whether you draw a line through it or you mentally say, oh, I've done that and I, I still have this to do. The very first thing that I always put at the top of my list is I want to get what I want to get so that if I have a client objective or something that I need to be doing, I'm going to put that on the list. This is what I need to get. And so what does that mean? Well, what that means is 
that if I'm talking to somebody and it's clear to me that they're not in agreement with me, that they're not working towards the same objective that I am, then I'm going to think about, well, what is it that I can do differently to be a better advocate for my client or my customer or my situation? Mm -hmm. And instead of just throwing up my hands, try to say, well, what communication techniques can I use different from what I'm using right now that might be able to get me what I need? And so that's referred to as impression management. And one of the things that men do great, because by the time they're three or four or five years old, they know that if they want to be invited to be on the t-ball team, that they have to make the t-ball captain think that they're great people or that they like them, even if they don't. And women, we grow up in an environment where we're not encouraged to be as political. And so one of the things that we can do in a workplace that we might think or feel is toxic is to try to figure out how we can navigate through that environment. I love that. Do you have an example of someone that has been able to do that in their own lives? Well, I think that that really is probably any, every woman does it on a daily basis. A mother getting your kid to put their socks on uh, requires negotiation. Mm -hmm. And so I think that part of it is that we need to view conversations more as give and take instead of, you know, I want X and then assume that somehow if the other person says no, then the conversation's over. So I think that that's really something that happens on a daily basis to all of us. I think it's important. We have to recognize that toxicity is a whole range of activities. The movie about Roger Ailes and Fox Bombshell, News. The new movie, Bombshell. Bombshell. That's a truly toxic environment. That is where it is rife with sexual harassment and exploitation, intimidation. That's one end of the toxicity spectrum. Thankfully, most businesses are not there. Most businesses simply are male-dominated operated as accordance with what we were talking about, male norms. So in that environment, we talked to a woman who was frustrated because what she found was that when she was nice and kind and sweet, she was likable, but wasn't taken seriously. But when she was aggressive, spoke her mind, vigorously advocating for her points of view, she was dismissed as unlikable, unable to be part of the team because she was viewed as so unpleasant. And we worked with her coaching to try to find a way to combine those qualities to make certain that when she was expressing herself aggressively or forcefully, that she did so in a way that made clear that she was also open to other people's ideas, that she was able to be welcoming, that she wasn't strident, but that she was simply being thoughtful and careful and strong in her views, but not overly aggressive. And so what we found over a period of about a year was that by combining those qualities, that softness with hardness, that communal with agetic, that I'm welcoming with here you need to listen to me, that she was able all of a sudden to break through mm -hmm. to get to a point at which 
it was people were listening to her. She was being put on the important teams. And she now is a very successful insurance executive. I love that story. That's really great. And I also want to add to, uh, you know, what you're referring about to negotiation happens like all the time. I think that's a really great point because I think when we hear most of us, when we hear the word negotiation, we just think like, oh, I have my annual review with my boss and now I got to figure out if I'm going to get a raise or not. But it, you're right. It does happen a lot more often than what people think. And I, I hope that anybody out there, that's a great lesson to learn is like, I mean, I, Try to get my. I was trying to get my son to put on his pants this morning to go to school, and it was it was definitely negotiation. <laughs> and women do a great job of negotiating. And so the stereotypes are that somehow, as women, we're bad negotiators. And the reality is, we're fabulous mm-hmm. negotiators. And so part of it is a mindset, and part of it is understanding that in order to have effective conversations with other people, we need to be having effective conversations with ourselves about the what are we trying to accomplish and that was sort of my point about the top of my list is i want to get i want to accomplish what i want to accomplish today i want to get it done and that means i'm going to vary communication techniques that i'm going to use so part of the reason why i did leave the 9 to 5 world is that i do have a young son and so i am i've carved out a more flexible work situation for myself but i also know that that's not possible for everyone so for someone who is desiring a more flexible type of situation but they're in a more traditional corporate environment what can someone do in that sense well one of the very first things is you could be very careful in selecting you could be careful in selecting the who you want to be as your partner in life one of the interesting things was when our daughter was little we would tell the school that if she was sick they should call Al first but they never would they would always call me because they just assumed that that couldn't possibly be the correct you know the correct thing and if Al was in a meeting but he knew it was time to take to leave to take our daughter to the circus he would say oh i'm taking our you know my daughter to the circus and the whole room would start to applaud you know, isn't that great? He's a great dad. Well, if a mom says I'm taking my my child to the circus, you know, the the whole dynamic changes as to obviously there's something wrong with her. She doesn't care about her job. And so in the United States in particular, we have two problems. One is that the workplaces don't support motherhood in the way that other industrialized countries do. We don't have the sorts of mandatory maternity leave and paternity leave as well. I mean, we're not as good at leave generally. And so it's much harder to carve out a successful business career and manage the workplace, you know, the family obligations. And so that is a problem that women face. Men are taking more and more paternity leave, and there's a lot of positives about that. An interesting study recently was that in considering taking paternity leave, the men will say that they're taking leave because they want to help their wives or they want to help with their newborns, but they're prepared to admit that that's not really what happens once they do take the leave. So again, I think it's a society issue. Part of this flexibility issue is a willingness to make the sacrifices that are necessary in order to achieve that kind of integrated life. One of the things that goes on in couples is that women are led to believe that unless their income alone 
will support the childcare or additional services that they need to drop out of the workplace. And that mindset mm. is a very destructive one. Childcare and home services mm. are a family responsibility, and it should not be laid on the woman to believe that it's her job mm. to support the childcare. Now, so that the family has to bear those costs and be prepared to recognize that if we're in two career families, which is the norm for most high-performing women, that the childcare, the home services, the whatever needs there are have to be a shared family responsibility. Now, obviously, if we're dealing with a single mom, that's not an answer. Single moms have it far tougher. But with respect to the single moms that we've worked with, what we found is that their willingness to leave early, if they will make it clear that they are not shirking responsibility, that they can get the job done, it just won't be by five o'clock, but it'll be by eight o'clock, that they can be at work by six, they just can't stay past three, that there are all sorts of accommodations in that regard so long as their employer knows that, they are not less capable, less committed, less willing to put in that extra mile. So what we've found is that when women can make it very clear that they're willing to work just as hard or even harder than the men, they just need to do it on a different timetable, that very often, if they're not on an assembly line, if they're not in a rigorous service business where they have to be serving customers from particular hours, that if they're in a more bureaucratic office environment, that they are able to achieve that flexibility. Of course, it requires the organization to go along with it. And that's another issue about the need for making it clear that these things benefit not just women, but when you provide these services and flexibility to all employees, that makes a very big difference. And it should be the kind of benefits that are offered to all employees and not just pegging women as if it's remedial and it's something that women need. But again, it requires organizations to be able to think flexibly. Yes. And it also, but it, it also requires some individual negotiation because sometimes even if the organization has a policy, everyone has to work out their own schedule. And that we were talking about negotiation. That's one of the most important negotiations that women can have. I think this is just a great takeaway is that there's obviously many, many factors into this that you know we can do our part, but at the same time, there needs to be some sort of change in the organization. And I, I appreciate both of you coming on to share this. I know you two have a book out. Um, would you like to tell everybody what it's about? Any other projects that's coming up? Our newest book out is called It's Not You, It's the Workplace, Women's Conflict at Work and the Bias that Built It. And this is about what women can do in gendered workplaces and in workplaces to overcome the sorts of tensions that women can have working with each other, much of which we believe is overblown and stereotypical. We have another book called Breaking Through Bias, Communication Techniques for Women to Succeed at Work. And 
that book, we have a second edition that's going to be out. Well, again, I appreciate both of you coming on. So thank you again for coming on Beyond the Dollar. Well, we enjoyed it very much. Nice to talk to you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. All right. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Andy and Al. I do want to talk about the idea of interruption in a woman's career and how that can contribute to the gender gap, which if you think about it, it's kind of obvious that that can affect it because it can lead to the fact that women who do have a career interrupt might get less experience in the work So the study that they were both referring to was actually a study of graduates from the University of Chicago School of Business. And so what happened was a decade after earning the MBAs, women were 22% more likely than men to have experienced at least one career interruption. And then 13% of these women weren't working. Now, this is crazy. That's compared to 1% of men. And now if you think about it, And again, this is pretty obvious. Women who become mothers after getting their MBA seem to, according to this study, choose jobs that are more family friendly. So maybe it could be a flexible work arrangement or less hours. And of course, they're avoiding jobs with long hours. And that can come at the cost of better career advancement possibility, which is insane, right? We can talk about whether it's fair or not, but the truth is that workplaces or traditional workplaces are still very much favored towards male or those who do not have career interruptions. Something else I do want to point out is that the idea of women are supposed to be nice. And that story that Al talked about where the the female that came up to them after one of their workshops talking about, oh, I am perceiving women as treating me differently than a man would in a workplace. Therefore, I'm having a harder time working with women. I will admit that that has happened to me. I'm not going to get into specifics. And I'm going to bet that may have happened to many of you as well. And so I don't want to fault you for that. I mean, I'm not going to shame myself about that either. It's just really interesting to think about that, how we have these gendered stereotypes and how women and men are supposed to act in the workplace. So I do really also want to point out about balancing being nice and being assertive as a female. So here's an example in my previous teaching career. This was at a school that I worked at, gosh, almost, I think, eight years ago. And so what had happened, me and a couple of other teachers in the same grade level wanted to try out this new schedule. And so I was like, okay, well, let's try it out. And if it works, we can bring it to our head of department. You know, it's all in the best interest of the children anyways. We're not trying to get out of work. And so what ended up happening was the head of department got wind of this and she called us into the office and basically threatened us with our jobs. Now, I could have reacted in a way where I yelled back at her and tried to assert my side. What I did instead was I acknowledged her feelings and I simply said, we are more than happy to go back to the previous way of doing things, but you and I both know that that wasn't working. We were just trying to take initiative, take a lot of pressure off you, and then we were gonna come to when we actually had a solution in place. We were all just trying to make it easier for you. So in a way, I was being nice about it in that I was trying to help her, which I was, right? Help the head of department, but I was also asserting my side and my colleague's side in that we were just doing what we thought was best. And so the threat wasn't necessarily taken away, but it wasn't asserted 
either. So, I mean, I didn't get fired. <laughs> I was there for many, many years. Something else I do want to mention, my friend was Roswana came on a couple of seasons ago to talk about emotional intelligence and coming to common ground when it comes to negotiating in the workplace. So I highly recommend you check out that episode. I'll put that in the show notes at beyondthedollar.co. It references a lot of the idea of balancing being nice with being assertive. Because at the end of the day, these gender stereotypes aren't going to go away anytime soon. That's the reality, whether or not we like it. And so for now, right, unless there's a better solution, and I welcome it, we have to almost work with that stereotype. And so if the stereotype is that women are supposed to be nice, how can we use it to our advantage? Now, the idea of the expectations of being treated a certain way also ties into that, right? Sometimes, like Andy now said, it really is a workplace. There is like a highly, highly toxic environment. And my friend Michelle Jackson is going to come on to talk about her experiences in an upcoming episode about she literally thought she was going to have a heart attack and she ended up quitting her super, super cushy job. In terms of being a better advocate and some of the questions that you can ask is think about if something isn't the way you think it's supposed to go, keep asking yourself, like, is it me? Is it the system? Or if it is partially the system's fault or the workplace's fault, what are some small steps that I can take that can show some immediate result. Because if you're asking for a big change, especially in an organization that has been very traditionally hierarchical or it's a massive corporation, it can be really hard to get change, like a big change going. So try to give and take in terms of the conversations that you wanna have, even talking with your colleagues, like what tiny, tiny little thing can I do or change that I can try to make in order to kind of snowball into the bigger changes that I want to make. I mean, lastly, what I love is the idea of finding work that better fits into your schedule. There are ways to find work that is highly lucrative, that can give you the flexibility. If you've been a longtime listener, you know that that's one of the reasons why I decided to become self-employed. I make quite a bit of money, even more than my old day job, freelance writing and doing things like this podcast. And I've worked very, very hard for many years in order to find that. But there are corporations out there that do prioritize a work-life balance. So one of them is actually a company, a podcast hosting company called Buzzsprout. And I met the co-founders and some of the guys in that work there, and they're just great. And the idea is you don't have to actually go to the office. So as long as you put in what they call 40 hours of dedicated work a week, and obviously you're communicating what you're doing and you're doing the best that you can, and it trust me, it's pretty obvious when you are not, they're happy. And so it's really great because it does offer you a lot of flexibility in terms of, I don't have to ask permission to go get a dentist appointment. If my son's sick, hey, I can work remote. And so that's really one of those companies that is trying to do that. And I know that there are many, many more examples out there. And if there are, please let me know. So as always, let me know what you think of this episode. Come find me on Instagram at beyond the dollar. Email me hello at beyondthedollar.co or head over to the show notes if you want to look at more resources at beyondthedollar.co slash 68. All right, until next time. Thank you so much for listening in on Beyond the Dollar. If you like what you heard, please share with a friend. It'll help share the mission of what we're trying to do, which is to have more deep and honest conversations about how money affects our well-being. So tag them on Instagram when I post up in the dollar or send them a link, whatever you want to do to spread the mission of what we're doing around here. Now, if you feel that putting money towards the things that really matter is a challenge for you, 
feel free to download the value space spending guide. So what it is, is you're gonna be able to gain clarity around what matters most in life, be able to name your most important values and how we can start putting money towards those things. So to download the value space spending guide, go to beyondthedollar.co slash values. So thank you again for listening and I'll catch you on the next episode of Beyond the Dollar. By the way, thank you to Donovan Durant again for providing this awesome theme song.